Hi. Voltro. Yes, and what do you do? I push. But why fret about it? Why not just relax? I love telly, don't you? Yeah. I think it's brilliant. Good man. Believe me, you'll be glued to the screen. Hi. Hey. <laughs> How's it going? Welcome to Pull to Open, uh, a Doctor Who podcast that is determined to take the whole show in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and we are a couple of journalists and guys who've written about Doctor Who and loved it pretty much our entire lives and love to talk about it and to uh, share it with you, the audience, and share our thoughts on taking the entire show in, in random order and how random it's been. I, I must say this has been a very, like, it's actually pretty been pretty awesome in terms of going back and forth uh, mm. all, all along the Doctor's timeline much the way Clara did, but anyway, no, the, um, but it's been really cool and sort of seeing these connections, uh, between episodes that I really didn't think of before. And sort of when you go in, like when you're watching Dr. Who in chronological order, right? Like you get, you've the feel of the show as it's going, but like be doing it this way, honestly, I think it's, it's a great way to do it. If you, if you want to be a little more, you know, reflective and analytical as, as we're trying to do, because you can really like, oh, like appreciate things. Maybe you missed the first time, but also like really get a better sense of what writers and, and the producers are trying to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's and, like and cleansing we, the palate, you know, after you've had, you're, you're doing a wine tasting, you're cleansing yeah. the palate between each sip. It's it's like cleansing cleansing the palate between courses of uh, with uh, you know a buffet with like uh, two hundred and thirty seven or two hundred ninety seven courses, uh, <laughs> <laughs> cleansing the palate between each one and trying something new, a little bit of dessert here, a little bit of main course there, a little bit of starter there, all in random order. Uh, so you definitely pay more attention, and and I think you're right. Uh, seeing it random order, like I didn't think that I would see any connections with the show that we're talking about this week, the story, uh, spoiler alert, The Idiot's Lantern, um, which, you know, a little little regarded uh, David Tennant era story, yeah, but actually not, not brought really up some... Not really remembered, but actually brought up some connections with uh, a lot of the things that been, we, we've been watching recently. And you do sort of kind of start to feel like the randomizer is, is a real person. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit spooky, um, as I mentioned before. And once again, we found some spooky things. So, well, it's thoroughly also like, enjoying the journey. For some, an episode that seems so inconsequential as this one, like they all seem special in their own way. You know, honestly, like we kind of go in and mm. like, oh, I get it. You know, this is this what they were trying to do here, and and sort of what marks it it leaves throughout the rest of the canon, if you will. Right? Like, and this happens every mm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's definitely like a different way to appreciate not just the show, but the little gems that you probably weren't even aware were, were quite so shiny the first time. <laughs> Indeed. And speaking of the canon and the show, uh, mm-hmm. and what's we, new? we have the news this week that, uh, we, we may have to add some more stories soon to our mm. spreadsheet, which we call the codex. Uh, a spreadsheet of 297 stories may soon become 298 because Doctor Who is back. It's yeah, coming or perhaps, back. 
perhaps even more. It's going to be it's going to be a happy Halloween. Oh, oh yes! Oh, I will wow. uh, not take full credit for that terrible. <laughs> I wonder if that's why on, they did it on uh, Twitter somewhere. But no, yeah, apparently, <laughs> apparently October thirty first. Doing it for the dad jokes. When the season returns, we got season thirteen. Doing it always. I'm always here for the dad jokes, but man, that's what we do. Um, but yeah, that's October 31st, Halloween, and it's going to be something called Flux, which appears to be, if not the name of the first episode, the name of the arc, the Flux arc, which will, this will probably be known as, because mm. as everyone has heard up until this point, season 13 is going to be more serialized than any other. It's probably going to be more along the lines of a Game of Thrones or even a Star Trek Discovery Um which is to say much more connections between the episodes. So yeah. old choice, hadn't done it. Since yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, something like 30 years ago, something like that. Yeah, we are, uh, uh, we, we, we got the trailer yesterday, uh, dropped, dropped at New York Comic-Con, and uh, it, it looks like we're, we're going to get Weeping Angels. Uh, uh, Sontarans, I think, were also mentioned in the trailer. Uh, something. I honestly like. You know what? I've been I've been really split on how I encounter stuff now because I don't want spoilers, but I also realize it's going to be tough to avoid. So I I, I I confess I didn't didn't partake in the entire trailer. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a very brief one. Um, yeah. but you know, just just long enough for the doctor to talk to the screen to us yeah it was that's what it was it wasn't a full trailer right that okay yeah. i did see that where she looks out and yeah. she met she name checks a bunch of villains and a bunch of monsters right yeah uh so i think sometimes weeping angels and then uh, something else and then a, a new a new villain a new species a new monster um but yeah so that was fascinating also i don't know if you saw anything about the weird uh fugitive doctor thing that happened on Google. Did you see this? No, I didn't see that. Tell me, tell me about the Fugitive Doctor. So, uh, some weirdness happened on Google right before the trailer. Well, weirdness also happened on Twitter. The official Doctor Who account went down for a while. Wow. Um, Alongside and, Facebook, I guess. <laughs> no, this was a little bit after. Um, yeah. And this is on Twitter. Uh, but also, uh, if you went and searched for the Doctor on Google for Doctor Who on Google, uh, you know, normally it, it gives you little little pictures of each of the actors that have played the Doctor. And underneath all of the actors, except three of them, it said, The Fugitive Doctor. Huh. Okay. <laughs> so The Fugitive Doctor. Okay, so we got... What we got some theories was just okay. If this was just an accident, mm. I mean, if you think about it, the last time we saw the doctor, she was arguably a fugitive. I guess she wasn't a fugitive; she was a prisoner. Mm. So I was sort of reaching there and thinking, was that a, actually a reference to um, Revolution of the Daleks? But um, no, 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 that's probably it's probably not right. Fugitive doctor, though, would would imply maybe that. The the arrest that happened in you know prior that got her in prison in Revolution of the mm-hmm. Daleks, maybe that's not fully resolved. Like maybe they're and, coming after. Her. 
Yes, the weird thing was that the only people who didn't have Fugitive Doctor listed were uh, Paul McGann, Sylvester McCoy, and Jodie Whittaker. Okay, Paul McGann, Sylvester McCoy, and Jodie Whittaker. Yeah, weirder so, and weirder, right? Wow. I mean, we could, we, we could be hoping for some guest shots here. Maybe Chibnall's really going for it. Right. Made some calls over the break. I mean, you know, uh, with with RTD returning, maybe this has uh, re-energized some former doctors, and maybe they're going to return. But if if they're going to do that now, what are the, what are they going to do for the sixtieth anniversary special? I know. Well, one thing they're not doing, I was uh, sad to read, was that Chris Eggleston isn't coming back, and mm. I think RTD returning sealed the deal for him. Yeah. Um, this was something I was reading. I forget where it might have been Radio Times even, but um, yeah, apparently the he. That part of like, I mean, you always get a little bit more of why Chris Eggleston left every time he talks about it. Mm-hmm. And it's, his story has kind of changed over the years, but he was pretty clear in this interview where he said, you know, apparently he didn't have a good relationship with RTD and, and Julie Gardner and others basically running the show at the time. And, you know, just uh, mm-hmm. once he heard, heard about it, it's like, nah, I'm, I'm just not going back for that. Which is like, eh, it's too bad. I mean, that's Chris's prerogative as always, but you know, yeah. happy the happy he's sort of warmed a little bit to the franchise at least, and is now doing some audio. So I think that's yeah, yeah. We, for, we've got his big finish audio, so we'll we'll just have to be content with that for now. Um, but meanwhile, how how are we doing on on the socials? How are we doing on TikTok? Uh, we are we are doing great on TikTok. We are loving the audience there. Our, our um, Followers are growing. We're getting close to 1,500. Wow. Lots to say about Talons of Wang Chiang, as I thought they would. We, we obviously did not avoid the controversy of that episode. Um, highlighted some of the, the more interesting discussion points about uh, that one. We don't have to go into it here. But obviously, you know, I, I've heard, Chris, people on social media like to share their opinions. Really? And that has proven true. So it's been good. It's been, uh, but the thing is, I, I like that our fans are are very thoughtful, and um, you know, it, 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 while there was a little bit of back and forth inevitably on these things, it, it, it did not get out. It didn't get crazy. I thought it was all pretty constructive, and um, people were just you know sharing what they thought. So that yeah, was good. Hoofians are just like that. They're, they're nice people and they're nice constructive people. You kind of, I think, you kind of have to be in in a show that is sort of very very much the spirit of improv in itself. It's Doctor Who is a very yes and kind of show. Yeah, absolutely. So we're sharing more. We're, we've been sharing from um, the Face the Raven and uh, people seem to really like when, you know, the the series, the new series can make reference to the old series. And so that mm. was really good. So we're going to try to do more of that. Uh, but, you know, if you're listening, hey, let us know. Go ahead and comment on TikTok or leave a review on the podcast or, you know, just just ping us wherever on Twitter and let us know what you'd love to see um, either from the show or from TikTok or what have you. And we're, we're happy to yes. give it a try. We're, we're always trying new things on all the socials. And if, if you have a particular story that you would like us to review, then uh, let us know about that. And I promise you the randomizer will get to it eventually. Right. <laughs> well, we could bypass the randomizer. Didn't he used to do that in season Ooh, 19 or something? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if tough. we can do that. I, I, don't want to be, I don't want to be messing with the TARDIS controls, Pete. I think we need first 
have to activate our recall circuit. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot we'll, of steps before that before we can rewire the randomizer. Yeah, but yeah, speaking exactly. of the randomizer, it's time we um, gave into it and uh, you know started talking about the place it's taken us to, which is of course series two, which is to say the new series. Mm-hmm. Um, series two, episode. Um, what episode is it? Seven. <laughs> yes. Series two, episode seven. Uh, the Idiot's Lantern by writer yeah. Mark Gattis of Sleep No More fame, which we had done uh, a few months ago. Yes, indeed. And there, there are some Sleep No More connections, which we'll get to. But first, it's that part of the show that, that one of us always dreads every mm. time we do it. The part we call TLDW, Too Long Doctor Who. TLDW, where we summarize in record time... Uh, <laughs> The entire story of a Doctor Who story. And mm. this time it's a new series adventure. So we're generously giving a minute. So we, we tend to give 30 seconds for every 25 minute episode, mm. mm-hmm. uh, which is what the old series was mostly um, constructed of. The new series is mostly 45 or 50 minute episodes. Uh, so we figure it's fair to give uh, a full minute for these. So are you ready, Chris? I, I am ready. We've we've uh, we've both sort of gotten close to summarizing in the time available in in the last few episodes, and sometimes the buzzer interrupts. But we'll we'll see how we do here. Yeah, uh, well, well, you're being very generous. So for keeping score, you've been a little more on time than me. But <laughs> these these new series ones are a little challenging, and I think we've got some good rules of the road for it because mm. you feel like they're straightforward, but there's sort of so much interesting sort of stuff that goes on. You're gonna you inevitably have to skip stuff. It is easy for us to get into the weeds, so I'm gonna try to avoid that this time. But uh, right. yeah, I'm ready. Enough of the commentary about the commentary. Let's do this. Are you ready to summarize The Idiot's yes. Lantern in a minute or less? All tabs closed. I'm ready to do this from memory. Well, then let's do it right now. Okay, so it's 1953, uh, England, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Doctor and Rose think they're going to New York, but they end up in the UK instead. What? And there are too many TV aerials around, even for this time, uh, which Rose notices. And it turns out there's a store, Magpie Electronics, that is selling TV super cheap, but that's also because it's in the thrall of an alien named The Wire who appears on the TV screens and sucks people's faces in to uh, feed on so that she can become uh, 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 real again. Uh, And uh, the Doctor uh, and Rose, Rose gets her face sucked off uh, trying to investigate this. And there's a whole bunch of uh, people with faces sucked off uh, who uh, the the, the police are hiding because the coronation. Uh, And the Doctor uh, goes after the wire and uh, climbs the, the tower at Alexandria Palace to... Uh, to try and stop her from uh, sucking off all the faces of, of all the 20 million people in the country uh, who are doing it. And he succeeds, and, and he captures her on a videotape. Um, and time. Wow, I just about did it. I think you, you got it. You got to the videotape. I think yeah. that was good. I'm also, I might be a little unsure if that was exactly a minute, because as I said, now I realize I didn't hit start. So oh. <laughs> I was kind of estimating. So we might edit that part out. Uh, my confession just now, but we'll see. We'll see. I think it's very much in the spirit of our seat of the pants adventure here. Indeed. Uh, I, but 
I, I feel like that was under a minute, to be honest. It, it went very fast. Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> it, it, it always feels like it goes fast, Chris. Um, but no, great job. Lots, lots happening with the, you know, it's almost like they should have called this, this one the faceless ones, right? Yes. They, there are a lot of faceless people in this. And although facelessness in itself is pretty scary, the the uh, faceless ones here don't re- aren't really doing much. Like they're not a threat. They're just faceless, and then their faces appear on on TV. Um, yeah, it's 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 a weird um, episode for villains, I must say, because mm. there's honestly like four monsters or people that could contend to be the villain. You have mm-hmm. um, the wire, which is obviously the 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 evil intelligence working against them. So that's, that's the straight up villain, but there's also magpie, mm-hmm. which is, uh, the wires puppet. Um, then there's also Mr. Connolly. Yes. I completely forgot to mention the Connolly family. Yeah. yeah which is which the is, focus of this episode, which is, you know, if, if you're looking at the story, I, in other words, I totally understand why you didn't, because it's almost like there's another episode going on in this episode mm. that never, they never quite intertwine enough that, um, you, you really get a good like connection between the two. I think that that's natural. Uh, mm. But the fourth villain is, is what you were just talking about, which is the faceless people, which are more of a monster, but as a monster, they're not, they're, they're really more victims. Like yeah. they look scary, but they don't actually do anything. There's even sort of the um, creepy, scary bit where the doctor goes into the cage where they're being kept. All the people who have lost their faces but they don't even really like threaten him. You know, they kind of turn to him, but they don't, you know, mm. they're just kind of these wandering things. And you think, are they going to do anything? And they'll, no, of course they're not. They're just people. Um, and, uh, and when, when Rose goes faceless, it, it produces this, this very odd situation where uh, the doctor has one of his very 10th doctor-esque speeches where you're like, you, you don't realize what you've done, you know? Right. He, he, he gets very, very self-righteous, very, very I am, cross, very cross. I am the oncoming storm, all of that sort of very tenanty stuff. Um, and then he just sort of walks out and leaves Rose there. He's like, you've, right. you've, you've done this to me personally, and I, I will not stop until I get her back. And, and, and then that's just sort of an odd tone with the fact that she's just standing there <laughs> in all her yeah. facelessness. Like he's not, uh, I'm going to take you with me. He's like, I'm going to walk out and just not care what happens to Rose's body. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird choice. I mean, not just in terms of what he does, but in terms of like the beats he goes, I wouldn't say it's a weird choice. Like the anger choice is definitely a valid choice there. It's just Mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. you know, it could be more despair. It could be more pity. You know, I'm not sure how much this was thought about between him and the director, but um, it's, it's, you know, you kind of like, it's these things where uh, you, 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 you want to take it seriously. And mm. I think when the show does it well, you do. Um, but there's a lot of times where the companion's in peril or something's happened to it. And you know that it's just going to be reversed or that there's not going to be any lasting effects. And what part of it is that Doctor Who's episodic and it's just kind of that sh- kind of show most mm. of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you think of other times, um, even in the season, where this sort of thing happened and, and you did take it seriously. And then I know it's a, di- it was a different character. I mean, and a whole different circumstance and it was a parallel universe. Um, so, so even the rules were different, but if you think back to uh, the age of steel, which was the second mm-hmm. episode of the, the Cyberman two-parter, 
um, there's the bit where um, Jackie Tyler is converted to a Cyberman and it's yeah. revealed and it's like, and it's such a powerful moment in my opinion. Like it's kind of the, a complete reverse of this because you know, in your head as a doctor who fan seeing that, like, Oh my God, that's horrific and irreversible. And mm-hmm. how, like, you're just like, you're really stunned in that moment. And you know, you, they kind of get away with it because it's a parallel universe. It's not the Jackie we really know, et cetera. So um, and you, you contrast that with this and then, you know, I, I'm not going to single out Gaddis here. I mean, this has happened in Matt Smith's era. Like you, you need to sort of do something to your companions. But I mean, um, when there's no real lasting effect, when you know, it's just going to be reversed. I, I, I can't really take tenant seriously here as like, he's going to, this is really going to be super seriously affected. And especially if you think about the episode we just watched, right. Which was face the Raven. Yeah, which was like, oh wow, like that's okay, that's serious. You know, like yes, Clara got killed. You know, we so. do have something permanent hap- happening to cont- companion. Yeah, and we, just, is, we just uh, came from a ten, and this is like a two. I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, this is like our one or two on that scale. There is also the connection that that Rose feels the way that Rose sort of doctors her way into uh, peril in this episode. You know, by right. walking in and investigating Magpie. Um, and and then you know that's how she loses her face. It it does feel very similar to to Clara sort of trying to be the doctor. And it's definitely the randomizer connecting various warnings that uh, companions shouldn't shouldn't try to be too doctorish. But yeah, right. you're right. There's, there's absolutely no permanent peril. I would also add to your list of potentially you know who who is the monster or who is supposed to be the monster here uh, with television itself. Ooh, sort of you know. I like that. But it again, the episode doesn't really have the courage of its convictions to stick with this notion that, you know, as the, the grandmother at the start says, that television rots your brain and it dribbles out your ears and all of that. Right. Uh, in, yeah. Instead, it's showing us one of the most nostalgic, you know, beloved moments in certainly in British television history and the coronation. Like, there's no sign that television is bad for you in any way. Yeah, if anything, they, what it seems to be trying to do is the reverse, right? It's almost mm. a love letter to the golden age of television, which yes. I, I didn't quite, I, I got it, but I didn't quite feel it because I obviously didn't grow up in Britain and I'd, mm. these references to Coronation Street and whatever else, I just kind of flew by my head. But, mm. you know, the staples of 50s era TV with sort of wholesomeness and, you know, even, even who they ended up casting for... Um, the Wire, um, mm-hmm. someone who I don't know, but I mean, I guess sure she's Maureen Lipman and she Dame Dame Maureen Lipman Dame mm. Maureen Lipman and but she's apparently a spitting image of someone who actually used to be a fifties TV host. Yeah, um, Sylvia Peters was uh, the announcer for the coronation and, and a frequent announcer of British television in the fifties. There are actually, unfortunately, no videos remaining of of her from that era. You can find a lot of videos of her. Oh, that's a shame talking later about uh, what it was like to be the announcer in those days. But yeah, that's why Maureen Lippman was chosen. She also bears a passing resemblance to the presenter of Muffin the Mule, uh, which was hmm. a kid's, <laughs> a very, sounds like a very weird name these days, and certainly sounds like the, the name of perhaps a punk band. But uh, but Muffin the Mule was one of the earliest kids' TV shows uh, on on British television and was was contemporaneous with Coronation, so that's accurate. Uh, yeah, nice. we also see <laughs> a little bit of uh, What's My Line, which was which was an American show as well. Uh, yeah, you know. So you gotta yeah, wonder, this- like I know I know Doctor Who, you know, can be a period piece sometimes, and it's just fun with this historical stuff. But were they were they going for those really 
the demographic of the older, much older yep. Doctor Who fan and just like, okay, we're we're going to pay you a little attention and get some references for you and maybe hook you in a little bit more. Because at this point, the new series is like a year and a half in, yeah, still growing, still, you know, slowly becoming the phenomenon it will turn out to be. Uh, I wonder if this was a little more deliberate than, than maybe it comes across. I don't know. I think so. I think, you know, it's interesting. We were talking about RTD last week and about how he focuses on the family. His, yeah. his era very much focused on the family. Uh, this is definitely an attempt to do that. Uh, not not a great attempt, but certainly an attempt. And and that is, like, if you want to unite the whole family in Britain or certainly get the older generation to uh, to pay attention to the set, then you, you talk about the coronation uh, because it is it was, you know, as this as this story shows, very much the era in which many people in Britain were getting their first TV set, many people were seeing their first TV set, you know, every, everyone would go round the one house in the street that had a TV set, you know, and this whole plot point revolves around the fact that there are too many TV sets for the right. era. Going and for five being, quid a pop, apparently, which yes. sounds pretty crazy cheap, even for then, you know, I know it's like yeah. quid isn't what a quid was today, but still. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and intentionally so. That's supposed right. to be a cheap, uh, you know, probably probably loss leading number for Magpie Electronics. Yeah. Well, which quite- which makes you wonder why? How did they get to be like the most enduring <laughs> corporation in the planet's history? Yes, apparently. They- they are mentioned in so many other Doctor Who episodes, and maybe maybe it's the notoriety. Uh, you know, maybe they they went after this. They went around with ads saying, you know, watch watch a Magpie television. We we promise your your face <laughs> your face will be sucked off or won't be sucked off. I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, there, there you go. All of our equipment guaranteed not to suck your face off. Um, so it's funny that that Magpie Electricals. I mean, obviously, it just became a running joke for the production yeah. team and the, the yeah. franchise that Magpie Electricals will, was essentially the electronics uh, company in Doctor Who going forward, and it's been mm. it, it's been referenced in The Magician's Apprentice. Um, and series three, once or twice, Martha's TV was a magpie, even, even the lie of the land. They've even gone so far as to retcon magpie mm. into, uh, episodes that from the old series that are now animated, right? So the animations have been done since this episode was broadcast. So the faceless ones, for example, yes. um, has, has a reference. Enough. It has yeah. an ad for for Magpie Electrical somewhere. I, I haven't actually watched it, and I'm sure we'll get there eventually. But yeah. um, it's it's been put in there, so it's 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 kind of like a, I feel like someone's got to do something with this at some point because I do feel like they're they're becoming the prime universe's Cybus. If you if you <laughs> take my point, right? Where Cybus in in Pete's world ended up being yeah. this super dominant global corporation that does all the devices, and obviously leads to the rise of the Cybermen, but uh, I think something's got to happen with Magpie here, although it would kind of ruin the future references to it if it ends up being an evil thing. <laughs> um, you could you could write around that too, right? So like, it's all it's all fine. I I love the idea. So it is. We do see that Martha Jones has has a Magpie television, and right. I love the idea that maybe the the master in his uh, Sound of Drums incarnation is uh, has been using the TV as part of his his uh, attempt to hypnotize the nation. When he when he's Harold Saxon when he becomes prime minister. Oh, nice! Um, Doing yeah, a, a wire redux. He stole the wires yeah. idea, right? 
That yeah. would be nice if if there was a reference to that. But maybe, yeah, maybe Big Finish can step in and and connect all these stories. Mm. Uh, so speaking of the coronation, interesting. Yes. A uh, fact, I think, that you unearthed in going over the footage, because I was actually looking for this, but I didn't quite spot it. But apparently you you, you have more of an eagle eye for royals than I do. <laughs> but in The Lie of the Land, um, mm-hmm. we had, uh, I guess, assumed that that was the first footage or, or picture of uh, Prince Philip. Uh, who yep. had, when we recorded that podcast, he had recently died. But uh, he's in he's in this one as well. Is that correct? Yes, yes. The very brief shot at the end, and I sort of realized this as as we were watching all the coronation footage at at the end of this show. Uh, I'm like, oh no, I'm 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 going to have to take back what I said after the lie of the land that this is the only episode with Prince Philip in it because of course it's not. He's going to be there somewhere during the coronation. They were of married course. already, uh, and you but you only see him very briefly on the balcony of Buckingham Palace at the end. Uh, ah, so, okay, yeah, no wonder I missed is. it. Yeah, I think I might have stopped looking again. by then. But it's it was very funny to watch this because it's like just weird coincidence. I, I am mm. sort of catching up on the Crown now as well, and when we oh. had recorded, um. The, the last one uh, for Lie the Land, I had only be- gotten a couple episodes in, but I'm at the point in The Crown where it's well after the coronation and knowing now sort of some of that backstory, mm. um, you know, not necessarily taking The Crown at face value, but that Prince Philip and and the, 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 the royal family were like, oh, we need to, this is a good moment to bring these traditions in, to basically modernize them in, in, a, in a very key way. And they were very deliberate about having it on TV, even though there was some, you know, uh, I don't know if it was for explicit, it was clearly wasn't explicitly forbidden, but there was certainly a camp that was like, we shouldn't do that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, so it was really interesting to sort of see that and sort of see, and I, uh, you know, seeing how much, not just the coronation mattered to Britain, but the fact that it was alive and broadcast and having that sort of shared national moment through mm-hmm. television. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I was sort of able to sort of appreciate it a little more this time around. Yeah, and it's definitely. I, th- I think the, the the doctor definitely, um, doctor who definitely uses shared national moments or shared international moments of television more effectively in uh, the um, oh god, what's the the first double header with the silence in in uh, season oh, six? Oh right, yes, uh, impossible astronaut day of the moon. Yes where the entire world is watching the moon landing. And that turns out to be a big part of the, the resolution of, of how the doctor defeats the silence. Yeah. Um, such a great climax. We'll get there. But such a right. We'll, we will definitely get there eventually. Um, but, but let's talk about the 1950s, um, which is very yeah. much the setting for the show and very much the kind of the, the best part of this episode is kind of all the, the, the set dressing and the costumes and the, the very fifties feel of it all. Um, yeah. Absolutely. It is the, doctor. the attitudes. The attitudes yes. is, I think, where it really wins. Yeah, definitely. And it make, it's made a little too explicit at some point where the uh, Connolly's son kind of fights back against the dad who has just uh, declared that he's going to, you know, beat any any girliness out of his son or just being told he needs to beat girliness out right. of his son. And, and he his son at that point fights back and says, you fought against fascism, dad. And you didn't realize that you're becoming the thing that you fought against. Right. Um, which, by the way, Mr. Connolly, I mean, that is just some of the biggest scenery chewing that we've seen in in all of the Doctor Who we've watched so far. It was, it was his performance. I, I cringed through a lot of it. 
Yeah, it's uh, over the top. It's 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 unfortunate. Um, mm. It's an unfortunate choice. I mean, it's obviously a choice. The guy, uh, nothing against the actor. I think he did exactly mm. what I think he was directed to do. He was the right mm. actor if you were going to play it that way. Uh, I guess his name's Jamie Foreman. Um, mm-hmm. So he was fine. It's just that the choice of having him be this over the top blowhard. If you're trying to make some point about either domestic abuse or the attitudes of the fifties, it, it it just made it that much harder to take it seriously. You know, mm-hmm. he was just so cartoony. Um, there are some good moments with him, and but they're not about him. So, like the only moment I actually really kind of liked, uh, I remembered it was, uh, but uh, I really you know stood back and enjoyed it this time with the the doctor and Rose essentially turning the tables on him with the doctor instantly sizing him up, which I thought was really cool. And then they're kind of turning the tables on him in his own home. But I also like that he pushes back again, because from a story standpoint, it's a little too easy that they end up walking over him immediately, that he pushes back and he sort of reasserts himself to the extent that he can. So I thought that was a good bit of pacing and sort of plot development. But as, as again, as a broader story point and, a, and just generally a character that works, I don't, yeah. I, I agree with you. I don't think it does. That was that was a nice moment. It's always nice when the the psychic paper doesn't fully work. Right, it's kind of like that. the psychic paper is. You know, I've I've grown to love it over the years, uh, and in this case, the, the doctor presents himself as a representative of Queen and Country. Um, you know, which he sort of that's how he sizes up Mister Connolly. Is like, you, oh, you're gonna you're gonna be so unthinking about this. You're you're a patriotic older man, and you fought in the war, and you know, yeah, I'm gonna come in and inspect the the amount of bunting that you have, and you don't. You don't have enough flags up, which, by the way, I do love that that Rose gets uh, her time in the sun with um, mentioning the fact that the Union Jack is only called the Union Jack when it's at sea. Otherwise, it is the Union flag and that it is possible to hang the Union flag upside down. Honestly, this is one of the best moments of Doctor Who education. <laughs> I got to say, because because as you know, as we've said many times, Doctor Who, when it was conceived and has continued to mm. do, and, and sometimes better than others, uh, to teach to teach especially young kids like these sort of facts about science or, or history or what have you. And yeah. I had no idea. I remember when I I heard her say that the first time, I was like, "What, really? Like I've been I've been calling it the Union Jack my whole life." Mm. Yep, um, and, and we do in even Brits do in general. Yeah. I mean, we all sort of know that fact in the back of our heads, but like, no one's going to start calling it the Union flag, right? Uh, unless you actually work for the Queen, uh, or you know, you're, you're some sort of uh, heraldic uh, expert. You know, you might you might call it that, but yeah. Otherwise, it's just it's informally known as the Union Jack. So don't you know? Don't worry, listeners, if you think you feel <laughs> that you've been saying it wrong all these years. Uh, so do we. But now so, you're ready. You're ready for some bar trivia about the uk or at the jeopardy episode about british <laughs> british names and, speaking uh, of the uk the, the the doctor in the you know we doctor over the years obviously has favored britain more more than any other country and it's sort of weird here and and makes him look like the idiot of the idiots lantern that right at the start the the, the doctor thinks that he's going to new york he thinks he's taking rose to new york right. to see elvis on the ed sullivan show uh something that happened in three times in 1956 and 1957 by the way um okay. more trivia and more <laughs> trivia 
uh, and 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 then zooms out of the TARDIS and for some reason takes an inordinately long amount of time to realise that he's not in New York, but he is in fact in North London with Union Jacks or Union flags everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. literally everywhere for the coronation. Of course it's Britain. How did the doctor not notice this? Uh, and also, why is he driving a moped with, with a British license plate on it if he thinks he's going to be in the UK? Uh, in the US, rather. Um, and then the, the first time they, they see someone on this, this the street that's got all the TV antenna on it, um, he's uh, some you know i think the magpie electronics guy in fact is is the person who says it who says it's it's the coronation and the doctor's like what coronation which is yeah given how much the doctor knows about british history and you may remember from the king's demons he chides tegan for not knowing some obscure points about like when the magna carta was signed right and right what happened and who there, the king was yeah and who the king was and now he's like clearly in the 1950s and he's not figuring out whose coronation it is when it's the only coronation in British history, you know, post-war like that's, that doesn't feel very doctorish to me. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, you could argue like coronation, like he still thinks he's in New York. So what are we talking about? But at that point it's so clear. Mm. I mean, I, it's just silliness. So a silly bit of denseness. I got to say, this is kind of a moment that unfortunately I, I, I think, you know, the whole scene I think is quite good between Tennant and Piper. And I think it really shows their banter and that they've, you know, what they mean to each other and how easy the relationship is now that all works. But this is really like within the show, it's, it, it takes you a bit out of the show and I feel like it's almost that moment where it ruins the show a bit for you. If you haven't really been paying too close attention. And here's what I mean. It's just that you think about like, it actually made me think about, wait a minute, hasn't he checked a single thing on the console to know where they are, you know, like before. <laughs> yeah. And, and then it makes you think about other episodes. Well, I guess sometimes he doesn't cause sometimes he just doesn't know where he is, but it, it usually it's written in a way that you're not trying to like, it doesn't screw something up in your head that you need to suddenly have some headcanon to explain stuff. It's just smooth mm-hmm. and you don't think of it, but this had me thinking it like, wait a minute. So, what does the TARDIS actually tell him before he leaves the door or yeah. maybe it tells him stuff and he just doesn't check. He just assumes he's right. Like couldn't, it could be a vacuum out there. You don't know. Right? Yeah, <laughs> he, he used to, in old who he always used to look at the viewfinder. Well, not right. always again, you know, sometimes the plot required that he just walk out the door. Um, but yeah, it does bring up this whole issue, which is an uncomfortable question for Doctor Who, one that you don't necessarily want to bring up if you're the writer, uh, of what exactly is going on? Why does the TARDIS keep getting stuff wrong? Uh, is it is it the Doctor misdirecting it? Is the TARDIS taking him where he needs to go? Right. Uh, as as it was said in The Doctor's Wife. Um, you know, That's what, what I like what to think. What exactly is going on here? The TARDIS has taken him three years in the wrong direction, 3,000 miles in the wrong direction. Um, and and then what happens next? I, I always kind of wonder in situations like this, like they really wanted to go see Elvis. Does he stick with that? Do they go off and see Elvis after this adventure? You know, it's it's never explained. You know, yeah, I just, have to, some of them think no. 
<laughs> I feel like when when there when adventures start like this, and, and many have, like we had this intention to go somewhere, and then we ended up in this other place where there was a crisis. You mm. never f- hear about the vacation or the, the fun <laughs> thing later, right? Like, oh yeah, and then then we ended up going to Florana with Sarah, right? Mm. And that was awesome. You know, we had a great time in the water slide. <laughs> like, yep. it's just never talked about it. Maybe that's just the nature of you know they love. When nothing happens, we don't talk about it. But uh, yeah. I have to think they they just assume, you know, this is where we were meant to be, and we were never meant to go to that other thing. And let's just let's just keep plodding along. That's that's also that's my how, view. How was the doctor going to get tickets for the Ed Sullivan show to see Elvis? I'm, I'm curious. Was he going to flash the psychic paper at the door? Like, why not? Why not yeah. go see Elvis when it's easier to see Elvis? Like before. Just before he got famous, why he was on tour with, uh, you know, all of those other rockers of the fifties and and you know Johnny Cash and all those folks, like or even know, go right. see that that first edition at the radio, the first audition at the radio station. Yes. Uh, the only problem there is he would run into Sam Beckett as Elvis, Ooh. since he had traveled back into the body of Elvis in the final season of Quantum Leap. So that would have been a little bit of a shorting out of the time streams and the blindingation yes. attack uh, limit, limitation effect and there <laughs> well, would have even, been time ram or some i don't know one of those things i love i love the idea of, of merging doctor who and quantum leap that that is i do hope they take place in the same universe and that we eventually get a, a team up there uh and I, I think there is a new quantum leap in production so that that may oh happen who knows well development uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm available, oh boy. Guys. <laughs> oh boy, as we should say. Um, <laughs> yeah, but but we don't okay. even need to go that far. Something that occurred to me when I was watching this: the Doctor is in London in 1953. That is ten years before Totter's Lane, mm-hmm. right? That is ten years before where he starts, and we don't know how long he's he's been in that junkyard. Uh, right. in in 1963 but like no mention of that like could have just thrown in a line of like oh this sort of feels familiar i'm going down back alleys going into apparent junkyards uh in 1953 i'm getting getting right. deja vu vibes he might have said i gotta say that 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 is true like the where he is the neighborhood he's in like looks very you know, unearthly childy. And yep. this again, one of those things, I know we've already piled on the idea that he didn't know where he was, but you know, when you, when you, I always, I, I, maybe I'm the only one who thinks about this sometimes of like, if I was ever sort of woke up and found myself somewhere, you know, outside, you'd immediately start thinking about like, well, where am I? And usually mm-hmm. places have a feel to them. You kind of like, yeah. it feels like I'm in Berlin or it feels like I'm back home and, Canada or it feels like I'm in Seattle, you know, like you kind of like at least get a feel for it. And it's weird that he didn't, you know, like mm-hmm. that's New York. Well, wait a minute. This, does, this doesn't even feel like New York. Like, I mean, London and New York just have different layouts, feelings, stuff around them. I don't know. It's just yep, yep. Uh, tough. Uh, well, so the Totters Lane and, and Coal Hill School were supposed to be in uh, Shoreditch, which is the east end of London, and this is more north London because it has to be near Alexandra Palace for, for the big finale. Um, but there, there are so many other references going on here, like the, uh, what was it called? Faisal Street? Yeah. Uh, was Flor- the... Florial? I can't pronounce it. Flor- Florial Street. Florial Street. Uh, uh, Flor- Florizel Street. Yeah, we <laughs> we had half of it each. Um, 
but that that was supposed to be a reference to uh, Coronation Street, the longest running British soap opera, uh, next to Doctor Who, the second longest running TV show in in British history, um, <laughs> and sort of the just which right began over my head. <laughs> uh, began record. Actually, I guess it is the longest running show because it started in 1962. Um, Coronation Street, and, okay. yes, and uh, soap opera set in Manchester. Um, uh, the year before Doctor Who. So that's, you know, an interesting reference that almost no one would have caught. Uh, but originally the idea was that the Doctor was going to tape over this Betamax tape that he's invented early um, uh, that contains the wire with an early episode of Coronation Street. But that wouldn't have worked out because the timing was wrong. Well, it's also like if you think about it, like, you wait a minute, you this is... Presume, like like it's a sentient thing, you know, mm. and obviously it's a villain, and but he he it's still there. Like you're just going to tape over that? Wouldn't wouldn't that just be killing the person, like executing <laughs> them? And yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to get too deep into this, but generally that's a no no <laughs> on the doctor's <laughs> list of things you can do to bad guys. Like yeah, yeah, just casually tape over the wire. Um, I, I'm what sure that many wire? of us. Yeah, why why is she called the wire? And is it a reference to HBO's uh, you know, groundbreaking series, which was <laughs> was on TV at the time, so it's impossible that Bagdad Gattis could not have uh, you know, been thinking about that reference in some way. Um but yeah, this is definitely the case of a story that when when you look into the history of it, you're like it you you had a better idea originally. Right. right, and the better idea was that it was going to be a song that was terrorizing teenagers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was going to be a piece of music that that somehow uh, I, I don't know it would have done something different than than sucking their face off like a television, but uh, they all become greasers. Yeah, <laughs> um, but for a while the song, by the way, was going to be Mister Sandman. Mm which we eventually see in Sleep No More. Yeah, you can tell that uh, that was clearly a, an earworm uh, from Mark yep. Gaddis for a long time. Like, he yep. wanted to do something on Mr. Sandman. Yeah, I'm going to get it in there. Yeah. No matter how. And i got to say, I, I do love you, Mark Gaddis, but um, he has produced so many middling Doctor Who episodes, mm. I'm, I'm afraid to say, in like Lazarus Experiment. Who remembers that one? You know, uh, Crimson right. Horror is probably one of his more memorable ones. Uh, he started with The Unquiet Dead, which was such a great um, uh, one for, for Eccleston. You know, the, the, the third ever story in, in the revived Doctor Who. The, I, I think he sort of coasted on, on having that reputation for a while. And of course, he has the, the connection with Stephen Moffat. They both wrote Sherlock together. Um, but definitely, I sort of feel like any other writer, anyone else, like you know, after producing something like this and the Lazarus experiment and various other non-hits, you know, would would have been sent packing and not not made much Doctor Who again after that. Yeah, I mean, he's you know he struggles, and I think um, I think you you mostly diagnosed it properly in that he he cares a lot about tone and and cleverness and references. Mm. And more so than he cares about story and any lasting consequence. And I would like to challenge him openly here <laughs> in that because I mean, you know, I, I do I do like him as well. I remember uh, I went to the when he when he was promoting Sleep No More. I thought he, he seemed like a really smart dude about Doctor Who and, and 
the 12th doctor. And also like, I know I, I'm more of a fan of sleep no more than you are, even though it's definitely mm-hmm. a flawed episode, but I, I would like to challenge him to like, have, have one of your, like have your story matter, have your episode matter mm-hmm. the next one. Cause I feel like you want people to come away with it. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's like you need some reverberating thing throughout the rest of Doctor Who, you know what I mean? Which that's more of a showrunner decision, but like the idea, like if you look at something like the girl in the fireplace, right. Mm. Um, where you, you just really deeply feel it. And it's also clever and it has, has a lot of, um, a lot of elements to it. Like aspire to something like that. Don't just sort of say like, okay, I'm going to do some references and I'm going to evoke this sort of thing. I'm paying homage to, but not really thinking about, how are the characters feeling it and what are they, what, how are they developing, developing in this uh, episode, which I think he really kind of gives the short shrift to. And yeah, yeah, just yeah, Mark, see, he's, he's a wonderful actor and uh, he, he is now of course enshrined in Dr. Who history as, as the brigadier's uh, father, is it grandfather? Right. Father, yeah. grandfather, I think probably grandfather. Yeah. In world war one in uh, the uh, uh, twice upon a time. Uh, he's marvelous in that. He's marvelous whenever he appears as an actor in the show, and in other shows, and in the League of Gentlemen. He's he's wonderful in that. But yeah, the the writing it just does never quite lands or hasn't quite landed since the Unquiet Dead. So um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought I thought um, the Lazarus we could we could get to it when we get to it. But I mean, the Lazarus experiment was actually at the very least a good. Uh, introduction, proper introduction from Martha's family. Yes. And so I thought I thought he did a great job in sort of characterizing them. Yes, um, for sure. So that's that might be up there with me. It's like those are the three ones that he I think he's done really well with, which is to say, Unquiet Dead, of course. Um, probably Lazarus Experiment after that, and then Sleep No More. And you probably mm. changed the order a bit, but then everything else he done has, has been pretty forgettable. And this is definitely yeah one of the more forgettable and the, ones. And the Wire, unfortunately, is is super. Forgettable, even though it's Dame Maureen Lippman, uh, who, as I've said, is a is a British national treasure, uh, known for a, a number of things in British television, including um, a series of commercials that she did for uh, British Telecom, which was known as BT, and she played a character called BT, uh, wow. who was a you know sort of a charming, uh, interfering older lady, um, and uh, you know she's wonderful comic actress but here all it's sort of cringeworthy like she doesn't come across very well she's only on the screen she's very flat literally and you know performance wise and just as says feed me over and over again and that just that didn't really land very well for me well it's also like the line should evoke something more horrific than what it's actually Mm. doing right like if these people were actually being eaten, you know, and you mm. could, you could kind of get away with that in Doctor Who, you could have to, obviously you couldn't, that would, it's a kind of a different episode with a lot of darker tinges to it. Mm. Obviously you can never happen to Rose, but it, it's clearly, it's not eating them because they're yeah. okay. And they're like, the bodies are okay. And the, the, the minds are kept somewhere. So presumably when the doctor talks about feeding off mental energy, he means like it, it needs to keep their mind or part of their mind somewhere and use that energy. So it can't just kill it. It needs to like mm. use it as kind of a battery almost. I mean, that's kind of what I took from it. Cause otherwise, again, like if it were really eating these people, like you, they, you wouldn't be able to save them at the end. They'd all be, yeah. 
Yeah, they'd all be dead. It'd be like, you know, a Dalek episode, essentially. <laughs> the wire feeds only on eyes, noses, and mouths. Uh, yeah, and there's no real, there's no reason. I mean, it's not the only episode to do this, but there's no physical reason for this. Like, why? Mm-hmm. why and there's not even a throwaway line of why the flights yeah. go blank. You know, they just, that's, they that's just the do. Thing. It is so, we're so ready as Doctor Who fans to, to suspend our disbelief. You just got to give us a line or so or something right. in there so that we're not asking all these questions. And this is, it's one of these rare bits and maybe, you know, RTD, he's the showrunner and he's obviously spread thin, so he can't pay attention to every single thing, but he's usually very good about that. Like most yeah. of the episodes in RTD's era do have that line of like, oh, we forgot about this. Well, we're just going to have a quick line, tenetal mm. blast it out. Oh, of course. That's why, you know, the, the ear pods do this or whatever, you know? Um, so yeah, it's just not here. It's, it's, it's really, um, unfortunate. Um, so, so there's a bit at the end, which I thought this is sort of like an interesting choice. Um, you know, when speaking of things that don't make sense. Hmm. So there's, there's the doctor goes to get all his gear to essentially stop the wire and, and capture him onto the beta tape. Uh, presumably had an old, an old Sony machine somewhere in the TARDIS to to do it with, which is I think kind Hmm. of hilarious, but he puts on his coat when he goes to the TARDIS because he doesn't have the coat on for most of the episode. And then he gets it there and he goes, and he kind of like, well, why, why did you know you're, you're pressed for time? Why did you grab your coat? And there's no real reason for him to do that. And then apparently the production reason was that he, um, it just looked better. Like it, it with David Tennant on the top of the aerial on the, on the radio transmitter, like the the coat flowing in the wind was a much mm. more added to the drama, so they wanted him to have it, which I think is a completely legit. Like do that and figure it out. Now this is a great bit, and I'm not sure if Tennant came up with this, but there's a point where stuff sort of spilling out of it. Like he's got stuff in his pockets, he's got the thing he's got in his hand, and so. But basically, they wanted to pay attention to the fact that like he kind of needed the pocket space. Because otherwise, there's no reason for him to get the coat. And I, I really like that David Tennant himself was paying attention to that. You know, like, he yeah. was like, well, wait a minute. Like, there's no reason. Like, he would never stop for the coat for another minute. Like, I mean, we need we need some reason he's got the coat other than it just looks cool. And they kind of like, you know, it doesn't quite work, but it's like, oh, okay, that's that's all right. So. I, I mean, in Britain, it just sort of, you know, I didn't even notice it because in Britain, it's just sort of a thing. You know, people just <laughs> reappear later in the day with a coat because it's just gotten a bit chilly. Uh, <laughs> if that's not enough for you, though. <laughs> if, you, you know. if you're not used to the UK's uh, constantly changeable climate. Um, yeah, there's also an inter- there was supposed to be a throwaway line up there to a throwaway reference to Logopolis. Right, uh, where yeah. the doctor says that he has trouble with with radio antenna. I wish that line had made it in because we would have then been able to connect it to Terror of the Autons. Oh yes, to, you know, we, we've we've talked about the, the doctor having a lot of issues with with radio antenna, and certainly uh, Pertwee's doctor was uh, Pertwee himself was had a lot of vertigo from having to go up at these high places. Um, and then, of course, the fourth doctor dies because he's climbing radio antenna so uh it would have been nice to to have that reference for you know wh- which a reference is eventually made uh in uh, spyfall part two uh they they actually, oh yes 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 no. the doctor and the master talk about the last time they were up on a radio tower um 
So that's nice. It's nice we eventually get Legopolis references in the show, but it, it would have been uh, great to have another one here. Well, I feel but like yeah, so, so many, so many villains, so many monsters use some kind of wide broadcast thing mm. to capture the Earth or parts of the Earth that you feel like wherever the Doctor lands is like, okay, before we even do anything, let's guard yeah. all the radio antennas <laughs> that are within like fifty miles of here. You know, something's up. Someone's going to want to broadcast something and steal faces or open a CVE or something like that. So let's just get those locked down. Yeah, just keep keep an eye. Keep someone posted at the nearest radio tower at all times. Hmm. Uh, maybe make sure that there are enough guardrails up there so you don't fall off. And that everyone uh, there has slept enough so that they're not falling asleep on the hmm. job. I think that was that blog. No, I think they knocked them out in Legopolis. Or whatever. Still yeah. good advice. Yeah. Speaking of uh, audacious stunts, is is this the first time that the Doctor exits the TARDIS or someone exits or enters the TARDIS in a motorized vehicle? Um, it might be. Oh, you know what? It isn't. And I'm no. going to go way back in time on this one, Ooh, which is to mind. say, not that much far, not too far, but farther <laughs> than the old, the new series, which is to say the 1996 TV movie. Oh, has uh, a bit where they're running to the TARDIS. I think it's Grace and the Doctor, and there's a cop, a San Francisco cop, on a, a motorbike. So it's like Donnie or Ponch or someone from Chips, mm-hmm. and he basically just—I I forget if he's pursuing them or goes right by them and goes into the TARDIS, like kind of at speed. And then the, the gag is you—you you hear the siren get get dimmer and dimmer, and then you hear it get. <laughs> You get louder and louder, and then he comes right out, and he just <laughs> goes like he just boom, like I'm out of here, and they just kind of laugh and go in the TARDIS. Uh, but it's like that—that that was, I think, the, the only time the, up until then that someone had sort of gone in or out of the TARDIS in a vehicle. Uh, and of course, you could do that in the old days because there was there was no there were no stairs. Uh, right. All, all around the, the gotta say, I'm just realizing now the the old Tont- Tardis control uh, room was was much more ADA compliant. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no stairs, um, right. no no ramp uh, in evidence anywhere. But yes, um, so it it happens in the TV movie. It happens here. It happens in the Bells of Saint John's. Am I right? Is that what, when the doctor has the anti-grav one that it comes out? Y- yeah, it goes up the side of the shard. Yeah, eventually. I think he comes out of the TARDIS. Yeah, I'd have to... We'll get there. But um, yeah, I think that counts. But definitely Day of the Doctor, right? Definitely Day of the Doctor, where Clara rides in. Yeah. Uh, kind of do, doing a Doctor in reverse, which is kind of nice. Nice reference. Yeah. But yeah, say. I guess that's that may be the most lasting legacy of the Idiot's Lantern. That and Magpie Electrics. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Otherwise, very, very forgettable adventure. I would say so. But what would have happened, though, <laughs> if the evil plot had succeeded? So the evil plot, I'm assuming, is the Wire's evil plot. And what she's trying to do is turn herself corporeal again. Right. Needs right. a lot give of mental herself, energy. Give herself a, a new body that will and, and you notice her turning herself into color television because of all the the faces that she's stolen. Yeah, which was kind of minute. kind of some of the funnier bits I got to say yeah. where they made reference to like TV technology and the 50s people are mouths agape at color TV, portable wow. TV, 
Yeah. Uh, that's not, there's a point early in the episode where Connolly's talking about this tiny 12 inch screen. Yeah. It's not real. You're it's like, like it's like you're in the room. room. <laughs> <laughs> While they're watching Muffin the Mule. Yeah. Right. Which is, is hilarious. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so she would then fully manifest as the wire and, and then what? Well, like, it's also like, no... what's her natural form? Like, we never yeah. know. Like, like that would have been a cool thing to think about. Because at least with the Nestines, you get the hint of, like, the, the giant octopus or something. And yes. you never really see it. But you kind of get a sense, like, oh, that would be scary. But this is like, is the what, what's the wire? Is your name the wire? Are you a wire? <laughs> like, would you just be, like, this big snake-like wire thing? <laughs> what are you? It's not, that's never clear. Yeah, and not it's, even clear. It's, They're not even attempted to be clear. It's not, they don't even try to sort of tell us what the wire is or what. what I guess the is. wire doesn't doesn't actually look like uh, Maureen Lipman because there's a throwaway line that says that that she's taken on the form of Maureen Lipman because it's like uh, Sylvia Peters, the, the the coronation announcer that we talked about. Right. Um, so that that is at least referenced and explained why she looks like that. So so Sylvia Peters is famous even on the wires homeworld. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, they've. It's one of those things like like contact, or you know, the radio waves have gotten right. that far out. Ah. They send the broadcast back, so that's that's clearly what's going on here. They're big fans of the coronation. Uh, <laughs> A few stars of the over. Home planet. But yeah, she she manifests, and then what? Yeah. Takes over the world. Yeah. We don't know. Probably, yeah. I guess, to get a rocket ship going. Yeah, so she could or, go back and have some revenge or be like a do an Eldrad thing and create an empire? I don't know. Or she just kind of retires, you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> and Britain has to deal with the fact that there are 20 million uh, faceless people wandering around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. She wouldn't take over the world. She'd just like, you know, Britain would go faceless. There'd be a crisis, an international crisis. Honestly, you might even see some reverse colonization there. Yeah. someone would have to come in and run Britain. Yeah, well, and and yeah. who who was watching the well? Luckily, the Queen would be okay because of the people who were not watching the coronation, <laughs> the, <laughs> the entire royal family would would be included in that number, and everyone who was in Westminster Abbey would be included. So so there'd be so the continuation. Government. Yeah, the government Churchill would be fine. Uh, it was the Prime Minister at the time, and you know Eden, the next Prime Minister, would be fine. So. We'd, we'd be okay. It would just be all of those people who uh, rushed out and got their new television sets. Right. Or went out to their neighbors. So so uh, Britain, I mean, the BBC would sort of pretty much have to shut down or just be radio because I think there'd be such trauma in Britain yeah. around attached to having watched television. Yeah. Uh, and then, but, so, so Britain's kind of like needs, it's become sort of a refugee state. They mm. need a lot of aid. Um, and presumably, I mean, it might have to deal with the wire depending on its plan, yeah. which we don't know. So if the wire yeah. is still there, um, and I guess we would have to assume we get another Legopolis situation with the doctor, whereas like he either doesn't get there in time, forgets to get the rubber sold, uh, shoes <laughs> on and is either vaporized, in which case he doesn't regenerate, I guess, or, um, falls and then, um, regenerates Matt to Smith. Matt Smith. And has yeah. to deal with this uh, very dark, uh, different Britain that we know. Yes, and and Matt Smith would have hung out with Rose, uh, which might 
perhaps be more more age appropriate uh, <laughs> for him than uh, Alex Kingston. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. You, you you we're almost getting into turn left territory right. here, right? It's because Britain would have to figure out a way to deal with its twenty million faceless people. Yeah, um, you know, what do you do? You put them into camps away from sight. Do you do you start to eradicate them? Well, they uh, sort of they mentioned like we can't even feed her. That's something Tommy says mm. at one point. And then you're like, they kind of wonder like, well, wait a minute then, like how will this being survive? You know, like, I guess you'd get them on an IV eventually, but yeah, that'd be a lot of I IVs. Kind of, by the way, I kind of wish that it had been Tommy and not his grandma who, who'd uh, had his face removed because then, then we could go all, you know, the who, uh, on it and they could just keep saying Tommy can you hear me <laughs> Tommy can you hear me <laughs> yes so, uh, yeah, who references, references there? that's what we need in this episode more references <laughs> uh, yes the who not Doctor Who yeah. oh wow yeah that's true yeah. <laughs> gotta like has there been like uh, this one makes me wonder that what have there been who references in Doctor Who oh, I can't think of any right now I'm sure there have gotta been. be gotta yeah. be we'll get there <laughs> so yeah. yeah so well i think we've we've dispensed with everything we can say about the idiot's lantern uh the idiot's ogron as we might get the it in our idiot's old ogron. yeah yeah the, the title itself very obscure reference to television uh apparently drawn from one of the friends of a staffer on the show a father of a staffer on the show who would just define tv as the idiot's lantern which seems a very 1950s way to to define television, right? Yes, yeah. yes, very much. The older generation might say, "Yeah, I got it. <laughs> I got the reference." <laughs> the idiots. You can't really say that about the internet, can you? It's the idiots network. Um, oh. yeah, the, yeah. the idiots uh, telephone. No, it's not. No, we'll, we'll think about it. You guys, <laughs> right in. <laughs> yeah. Comment. Let us know what the internet is and the idiot's yeah. lantern language. Yes. And TikTok is the idiot's like zoeotrope. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like that. Good down. So yeah, let's let's, let's find out where we are going. Yeah, next. it's time, guys. We we need to activate the codex. Open it up. <laughs> so this is time. We need the codex to activate the randomizer. So the randomizer is going to show us where we're going next. And what we've done is the Codex has divided Doctor Who stories uh, into 297 stories. All the, on the, this is these are all the televised stories, mm-hmm. and uh, it doesn't quite match up with any known episode guide. This is our own. Uh, this is our own Codex for pull to open, and yeah, we we decided what what counts as a discrete story exactly, uh, and our our tally is slightly different because we know we're going to have to actually watch all these things eventually yeah exactly we don't we don't just go by the production codes and we don't just go by uh, what you might think are multi-part stories even in the new series um but it's pretty close so we have 297 and to find the random number among those 297 uh we turn to random.org Yes, or the the executor, as we decided to call it. Yes, of course. The codex and the executor. And random.org uses atmospheric noise to produce true true random numbers because computers can't. So that's why we like it. And it uh, certainly took us somewhere random here. So 
<laughs> we'll yeah. see where it takes us. So next. I want to I want to lay down a challenge for uh, yep. the randomizer because I like to do that. Mm-hmm. It's my thing. What it occurred to me, Chris, as I was looking at um, the episodes we've done, we have never done a proper Dalek episode. Ooh, and there are many of those. It's pretty. It's yeah. pretty un- uncanny that we haven't had one yet. Um, it is. Wild. So I wouldn't mind seeing you know Doctor Who's number one villains. Uh, at any point in their multiple timelines, uh, just like to visit one of those. So let's let's see if randomizer can call one up. I'm I'm going to issue a challenge to the randomizer because I hope that it will not uh, actually <laughs> meet this challenge. Uh, take us to a more forgettable episode, a more forgettable story <laughs> Whoa. than the Idiot's Lantern. Oh wow! Okay, uh, yeah. I want some true fear her nonsense you know kind of just <laughs> really challenge us to find anything to say about the next forgettable story so all right let's see a couple good that. challenges let's go. <laughs> see what happens let's, let's right. see how it's going to ignore both of us yep all right give me give me the countdown you got the countdown in three two one Geronimo! 242 Oh my, okay, we're late, we're late. We are at <gasps> the Day of the Doctor. Whoa! It's, it's <laughs> not only done the absolute opposite of yes. what you did, what you dared it to do, there are Daleks in this. Yes. I mean, it's not really a proper Dalek episode, but I'll take it. They, there are billions of Daleks in this, in fact. <laughs> there may be more Daleks in this than in any other Doctor Who story. That's true. That's true. Uh, and this is my favorite Doctor Who story of all time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Many, many people's favorites. I, I, uh, I would probably agree with that. I, I think I'll save my final judgment till after we watch it, but I, yes. I was so enthralled with this. I mean, we're going we're gonna to talk about it when we talk about it, but... I actually saw it in the theater. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. and um, it's it, it is it's little known fact about our podcast. We we had considered starting our podcast with this. Remember mm. way back when we first we were like, let's do this podcast, and we we're like, well, what do we start? Well, let's start at the end of the doctor, and then we we ended up going with all the Christmas episodes. So go on yes. back to our first episode where we actually did rapid fire all the Christmas episodes. But we thought about doing Day of the Doctor and. You know, we kind of just ended up on this format um, and just sort of fell fell into the annals of Pultohoban history. But now we're back. It, 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 the randomizer didn't forget. I love it. And uh, Pete, I, I would like to suggest something, uh, which may be too big of a lift. Tell, tell me if it is. But Stephen Moffat did a novelization of Day of the Doctor. He did. Which is the best Doctor Who book I've ever read, bar none. Uh, including all the nonfiction stuff. I love what he did with it. It is very, very cleverly written. There's lots of fun Moffaty stuff, like the fact that chapter nine is missing. All the chapters are out of order and chapter nine is missing, is a, which mm-hmm. is a reference to the fact that Eccleston wouldn't participate in Day of the Doctor. And then the whole question throughout the novel is who is narrating the novel? And you only find out literally the very last word. Yeah. Of the yeah. novel, I'm not going to say anything more than that. No spoilers, but no spoilers. It's good. No, I, I, I've actually read it as well. It's it's it's. Oh, you very, have. Okay. Yeah, it's it's well. Okay. It's a great, great Doctor Who book. I mean, it's really a Doctor Who book as 
you you really appreciate it if you really know the show. Like it's so clever. So so perhaps we can talk about that too, and uh, you know talk discuss it with our audience next time. So if, yeah. if you're listening along, uh, you've got you've got two weeks to read Day of the Doctor. Yeah. And yes, then we will, we will make it our first, you know, uh, TV slash book club episode of Pull to Open. Oh, love it. Love the book club portion. <laughs> It'll be permeated throughout probably, but it's so good. Awesome. Well, I'm really looking forward to this. It'll probably be a bit of a chunky episode too. I mean, there's a lot to yeah. go over. On, there's a lot to unpack on Day of the Doctor, but we'll try to keep really? it uh, tight as well. Uh, wow. This is going to be a great one. Awesome. Awesome. Really looking forward to this one. It's it's literally all downhill from here, Pete. It's yeah, just, I know. We've done we've done the best. <laughs> We're about to do the best story, and then it's just it can't, you know. I I hear there's some other good stuff somewhere in in Doctor Who's history. So here and there, Looking here and there. there. It's um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting. We're getting like uh, to this now. <laughs> so I hope it's right. not our last episode. No, it it won't be. But I mean, it's it's um it's it, yeah it's it, this is fairly yeah. early in our journey. We still haven't the even randomizer. done any Colin Baker episodes. <laughs> and we haven't done any Matt Smith episodes. This will be our first Matt Smith, actually, yes. technically. Um, it, we it's also going to be our first John Hurt episode. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. Okay. This is going to be awesome. Well, wow, my mind is reeling. And I don't want to throw any more spoilers out there. And I want to save it for um, that pod. So I think we got to call it. And I just want to say thank you, everybody, for listening um, and checking out the Idiot's Lantern with us. Uh, real quick reminder, this is Pull to Open, the podcast. It's a podcast. So if you've not yet subscribed, please do go to your favorite podcast app or on them all. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review. We love those five-star reviews, but leave whatever you like. But every review really helps uh, have us be sort of appear in more results and just kind of have more prominence on the store. So please leave a review if you can. Uh, and please also follow us on social. As we said, we're on TikTok. We're super active there. We're sharing lots of clips, uh, time to uh, clips of the, the podcast. So check that out. We're at Poll2Open is our handle. Easy. Uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. We're at Poll2Open63. And that is that. And we will see you next time for Day of the Doctor. Looking forward to it. Bye, everyone. <laughs>